Hey, this is Nikki McCrary, lead pastor at Eastern Heights Baptist Church in Statesboro, Georgia, where we exist to be a life-changing church. So as you listen, I pray that you will be encouraged in your walk with Christ and that your life will be forever changed as you grow in your relationship with Him. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Hey, it's good to see you. Welcome all of you who may be our guests today out of all the great churches here in the Statesboro area. We are so glad that you chose to visit with us this morning and I hope that you feel welcome. I hope you're blessed by being here today. I also want to welcome those of you who are watching online. We're glad that you join us as well as those who are listening by podcast. We're always glad to have anybody and everybody who will listen to the Word of God. Amen? All right, well, we are continuing in our doctrinal series called Unstoppable through the book of Acts as we're looking at all the different things that the church has faced that has tried to stop her along the way. Today, we're going to be in chapter 13. If you want to go ahead and be flipping over there, we're going to be talking about the unstoppable call of God. But before we begin that, I want to remind you two things. Challenge you to pray every single day for our staff search team that's looking for our full-time position of uh, contemporary worship leader and youth pastor combination. Be praying for that. Keep your ears and eyes open for that. Uh, also, to be in prayer uh, for our Williams Building Renovation Fund to continue to give toward that generously. If you've, as you heard, we're going to be voting next week to go ahead and move forward financially with getting that project completed, but we want to replenish that account. So continue to give generously and pray about doing so if you haven't done that and continue if you already are. Well, last week we did talk about unstoppable prayer, right? How that God doesn't put us on call waiting. He doesn't put any of our prayers up on the shelf. He never leaves a prayer unanswered. However, we learned that sometimes his answer to our prayers is a no, right? But God always answers our calls. We can't say that the opposite of that is always true because too often God's unstoppable call is either ignored or it is put on hold when we're called to join him and to follow him in his call for the church. And it shouldn't be that way. But here's why it is. All right? Write this down if you're taking notes. Every disciple has a call waiting. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you have a call waiting. It's not that Jesus gave a mission to the church. It's not that Jesus built his church and said, you know what, they need something to do down there at that church. I think I'll give them a, a mission. No, Jesus didn't give a mission to his church. Jesus built his church for his mission. And there's a big difference because the mission has always been to reclaim the world for God. And so any move of God is going to require movement. And so Acts is a story of a church that is on the move. And now we see this church in Antioch that is multi-ethnic in its makeup. And it's the first church where all races come together and are welcomed. So God uses this church to launch the move of God from being just a local movement to being a global movement that's going to go throughout the entire world. So all the leaders are together. All the leaders of the church, they're together in verse 1. And then we pick up the story in verse 2 of chapter 13. It says, One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. Now I, was, I want you to notice these two words that are underlined here, called and sent. No, Jesus is actually referred to as sent 44 times in the New Testament. It's the, it's the reference that we just have celebrated 
in the Advent season, how that God has vertically sent Jesus to the world to be the Advent, and then how Jesus has chosen the church to be the uh, horizontal Advent into the world. And so we know the Great Commission of Matthew that says, go into all the world and make disciples, right? John says it another way in John chapter 20, verse 21, where he says this. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Because these saved people are sent people. If you're saved, you are sent. Okay, you're going, where, where am I sent to? Well, we're going to look at that. Because the book of Acts is actually a warning against stagnant and stuck discipleship. It's not something that pleases the Lord. You see, I, I love the, the beauty of how God does this. He sent Jesus to the world, and Jesus will come, and he will meet anybody wherever they are. They, they can be rich. They can be poor. Uh, they can be famous. They can be a nobody in their mind. But Jesus will meet every single person where they are. But the beauty of this thing is he won't leave you where you're at. Right? Yes, thank God. That's right. Yes, he, he'll meet you where you are, but he won't leave you where you're at. I mean, just think about it for a minute. Every time Jesus would turn to somebody in the Bible, he would say what? Come and follow me. Not, hey, stand up, do your own thing. All right? And it's the same message to us today. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to be his disciple, he says, come and follow me. And that implies to me that discipleship is going to require movement on our part. It did back then. It's going to Today, and that's why the leadership at Antioch, they weren't surprised at all when the Holy Spirit came along and said, appoint Barnabas and Saul to do the work that I have called them to do. They understood that it was going to be a calling. See, there wasn't a single person there that said, you know what? We can't afford to give up our best two preachers right now. We need them, all right? They didn't say, you know what? We, our committees haven't met about this, and we certainly haven't had a vote on it. And more than that, it's not in the budget. Who's going to pay for this mission trip? And then the big one. Besides, there are a lot of people here in our own city that still need to hear about Jesus. Right? We like to use that one. They didn't say any of that because they didn't see it as losing them. They saw them as redeploying them. And that's what I love about being a Southern Baptist and part of Southern Baptist Convention. It's certainly not all the things that have tried to divide us over almost 200 years of existence. But I am proud because of the one thing that has united us for almost 200 years, and that is the call to reach the entire world and not just our local community. You know, it might not seem like much, but our church alone this past year gave a little over $64,000 to 22 different mission efforts. Ten of those efforts were totally outside of this area of Statesboro. I mean, it includes thousands of missionaries in foreign lands all over the world. It includes thousands of missionaries here all over the United States. Twelve of those 22 missions did include mission work right here locally as well. But all 22 of those mission efforts, they were ministries that met the needs of people totally outside the membership of Eastern Heights Baptist Church members. And I'm proud of that. And you ought to be too. And we're going to continue to do that kind of work. So if anyone ever comes along and asks you, hey, is Eastern Heights a mission-minded church? I mean, do y'all support missions? Then you can emphatically say yes. Because you know that what that old saying is? If you want to know where your heart is, just look where your checkbook is going. Well, $64,000 plus we sent out to missions. Because we understand this is not our work. This is God's work. 
Appoint them for the work that I have called them to do, God said. And so we need to understand the call isn't about Eastern Heights and the work that we think we should be doing. The unstoppable call is Eastern Heights needs to join up with God's work and what He wants us to do. Look at Acts 13, verse 4. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. So this is God doing the sending. But answering God's call to move doesn't mean that the move is always going to be easy because there's another movement, and it's very, very real, and it's very, very powerful, and it's going on at the same time that God is calling us and sending us out. Look at it in verse 6. Afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Now, y'all know what a sorcerer is, right? Which, which doctor, that kind of thing? He had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looked the sorcerer in the eye. Then he said, you son of the devil. <laughs> you thought he said something else, didn't you? He might have. He might have. This, this is the New Living Translation, okay? You son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud. I mean, it just goes on. It gets worse. And an enemy of all that is good. Will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment on you, and you will be struck blind. And I can tell you what that feels like for real, because I've been there. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly. Mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. Nobody wants to touch a sorcerer's hand. All right. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. So I want you to notice, this is the work of the Lord that brought him to Jesus, but before he could receive the light, somebody had to dispel the darkness. So that brings us to the first thing I want us to learn that the Bible is teaching about this call. This call is not stopped. This call of God is not stopped by demonic opposition. It's just not. And those who truly live on call for the mission of God, you understand this. You understand that Satan comes along and he'll take an area of your life even though he doesn't deserve it. He will take over an area of your life. Maybe at some point you gave him authority to take control of that. And he's not just going to give it back without a fight, folks. He's not. And so true followers understand that any move for God is a move against the enemy of God. And I know that mentioning demons and demonic activity, it raises some eyebrows, you know, and it makes some people feel uncomfortable. But you know what? The Bible talks about demons, so we're going to talk about demons. Because if you believe in God, you've got to believe in the devil. And if you believe in angels, you've got to believe in demons because they are fallen angels, right? And if you don't, then you just don't believe the Bible. Because you won't find anywhere in the Bible where it says that demons have retired. They haven't. They're still very, very real. You ask any third world missionary if they've ever encountered demonic activity and ask them some of the things that they've seen when it comes to dealing with de demons. Matter of fact, you can ask me sometime if you want. I have my own stories. 
Now, in our culture, I realize that demons, they kind of show up in different ways. They talk about the doctrine of demons. And anytime you hear teaching, and there's a whole lot of it out there right now, you hear teachings against the, uh, the, the deity of Jesus Christ, you hear attacks against the uniqueness that he is the only way to God. Well, those are teachings that are demonic, folks. They just are. And Paul teaches that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against powers and rulers of the darkness. And they sometimes will manifest through flesh and blood people. And often they'll just manifest themselves in a lot of other ways. But we also are taught that the work of Jesus has limited the amount of power and darkness that demons have in our lives. Luke 10, 17 says, When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. And see, that word obey is the same word that we use for submit. It's a military term, and it means that it's not a level playing field. Demons and Jesus aren't on the same playing field, folks, because the demons are far below the power of Jesus. And they always have to submit, and they have to obey whatever Jesus tells them to do. So Jesus is saying, I am building the church that even the gates of hell cannot stop it. But anything that you build of significance is going to have its challenges, right? Let's keep reading verse 13. Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch, of Pisidia, which is another name for Galatia. That's where we know it to be. So these two verses kind of seem like filler verses, you know, kind of like, well, they went over there and he went there and they did this and they did that. But it, it re in reality, it carries a lot of significance to our second point here, and that is the call of God is not stopped by disappointing circumstances. So you have to ask yourself the question, well, why did Jarrah Mark leave this missionary journey to go back home to Jerusalem, and Paul and Barnabas went somewhere else. See, and I'm of the opinion that it was more than just being homesick. I think that John Mark got turned off by the Gentile mission and what they were doing. So he went back to Jerusalem, and he told all the Jews there what Paul and Barnabas were doing down there in Galatia. So all the Jews in Jerusalem, or a lot of them, they got together and decided they'd make a field trip to Galatia to try to straighten out the whole situation and tell them, you know what, if you're going to be a true Christian, all of you here, you've got to get circumcised. Okay? Well, that wasn't the greatest news they wanted to hear. But yet, that's what they were being told. And so Paul, he ends up writing this letter to Galatia to straighten out the false things that all these Jews from Jerusalem had gone to tell them all, and he tells them, you got a bunch of bad information from these guys, and here's the truth. And so what we see is John Mark, he didn't necessarily tell those Jews to go say all those things. I think they did that on their own. But it infuriated Paul that John Mark would go back to Jerusalem and stir the pot. All right, And it made him so mad and angry that the next time the next missionary journey came about, Barnabas said, hey, why don't we take John Mark with us again? And Paul said, there ain't no way in Galatia he's going. And again, I'm not sure if that's the term he used or not, but that's the one we're going with today, right? He said, he ain't going, it ain't happening. He's not going with us. Now, later they reconciled, but here's the point I think God has for us, is that when you answer God's call, it's going to sometimes affect your relationships. It's going to strengthen some relationships. 
You know, when I became a Christian at the age of 14, I didn't think about everything at the moment when I accepted Jesus, right? I didn't realize right away, but it didn't take long to realize if I'm going to follow Jesus and be his disciple and follow his ways, I'm going to need to find me a new set of friends because the friends I've got, they're going in one direction and I'm trying to go in another. I need friends that are going to go in the direction I'm trying to go with Jesus, right? And so sometimes when we answer God's call in our lives, it's going to change our relationships and there'll be some relational tensions that might be disappointing for a while. It was, it was lonely for a little while until I found those new friends, but God sent them. I still have them today. So not only are there relational changes, but there are also physical challenges that come along. Almost everywhere Paul went, he would stop and preach, right? But he didn't in Pamphylia. Why is that? Well, that's because he was human. He got sick. He says later on he got sick. Now, a lot of Bible scholars believe it was something similar to malaria, something very similar to that. And so in Galatians 4.13, he says, Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news. And we know that there are missionaries all around the world that they've tried to do everything possible they can do to prepare for the worst-case scenarios. I mean, they've had all their, their shots, their vaccines, their inoculations. They've had training. They've done all this. And yet, they still suffer illnesses sometimes, and they get far less medical care than we do here in the States, and that's saying a lot, right? And so they're there doing that all because they have answered the call. You know, we've actually had missionaries who have gone and had to come back home due to physical illnesses, things that they just couldn't overcome. They were so sick, they just could not stay. And so their whole life, they had prepared for this. They had trained for it. They were there. And then all of a sudden, their life gets turned upside down. And it was so disappointing for it to suddenly change and them have to adjust and maybe come back home. Because answering God's call is always going to be full of challenges, folks. And that's why a prayer like we talked about last week, where the church is earnestly praying every single day for all of our missionaries, whether they're all over the world or whether they're sitting right there next to you. We need to be in prayer for them. Acts 13, verse 44. The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. So they were challenges, but it was working. But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, here comes some more challenges, they were jealous. So they slandered Paul. Every time Paul said this, they said, no, it's that. And they argued against whatever he said. So... They're going to be Baptists. So the Lord's message spread throughout that region. Then the Jews stirred up the influential religious women and the leaders of the city, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. Well, there's nothing new for Paul, right? I mean, throughout Acts, every time we see Paul going to a new city and preaching, one of two things happens. He either gets run into prison or he gets run out of town. And every time he does that, he leaves two groups of people behind. One is those who will accept the gospel message, and the second group is those who push back and reject it, right? And it wasn't because Paul preached division, folks. He, he didn't do that. What he preached was Jesus. But isn't that what is being said about the church today? All the church today does is they preach. Everything they preach is divisive. Well, it's going to be if it's biblical preaching. Because biblical preaching has always divided people into those who will accept it and those who push back and reject it. Because you know what, folks? Things have not changed when it comes to following Jesus and being his disciple. You see, you don't follow Jesus on your terms. You have to deny yourself 
and follow Jesus on his terms. It was that way back then. It's that way today. It's always going to be that way. And so what I'm talking about is huge today because this first mission trip, Jesus, not Jesus, but Paul is setting the, the bar here for what it's going to be to follow Jesus. He said, if you're going to be a disciple and you're going to answer that call, you've got to understand that you're going to face these things. It's not always going to be easy. And Jesus told him, he said, sometimes you're going to go into it, they're going to welcome you with open arms, and others, they're going to try to run you out, they're going to try to imprison you, they're even going to try to kill you. And you need to understand that. That's what he's saying to us today, folks, if we answer the call. There are things that will try to stop us, but even those are unstoppable. Because Jesus said, you know what? I may be the prince of peace, but I didn't come to bring that kind of peace. I came with a sword. And so it's going to divide people, this new life in Jesus. His first coming divided people. His second coming is also going to divide people, but then it will be for eternity. But God's unstoppable call, it can't be stopped by demonic opposition. It can't be stopped by disappointing circumstances. And then third, it can't be stopped by difficult people and places. Now, whether someone accepts or rejects the call, the message is still going to go out because the gospel is unstoppable, folks, right? And so here is the elephant in the room, okay? If answering God's call means that I'm going to have to deal with demonic opposition, if I'm going to have to deal with disappointing circumstances like I ain't got enough already, if I'm going to have to deal with difficult people and places like I already do every day, why am I going to come running up front to get some of that? I mean, wouldn't I be better off just to stay still right here where I am? And you know what? That's what some people do. That's what some people are still doing. Just sitting still. But you know what? True disciples can't stay where they are if you truly believe that Jesus didn't stay where he was. Because he didn't. So I'm going to read for you the sermon that Paul preached. It's going to be pretty easy to see what his theme was because he's talking about the history of Israel here and how a Messiah is going to come by the name of Jesus, beginning in verse 27. Paul's preaching. He says, The people in Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Jesus as one of the prophets had spoken about, as the one the prophets had spoken about. Instead, they condemned him, and in doing this, they fulfilled the prophet's words that are read every Sabbath. I mean, they read this story and this prophecy every single week, and yet when it hit them in the face, they didn't, they didn't even see it. They found no legal reason to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyway. When they had done all that the prophecy said about him, they took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And over a period of many days, he appeared to those who had gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to the people of Israel. And now we are here to bring you this good news. The promise was made to our ancestors, and God has now fulfilled it, in it for us, their descendants, by raising Jesus. And this brings us to our fourth and final point today, and that is this call of God is unstoppable because of a death-defying event. See, I want to remind you, our faith that we have today, it's not built on a philosophy. It's much bigger than that. It's built on a history. 
And so what Paul is saying here, he, he's preaching this sermon about 15 years after the resurrection. Only about 15 years. So he's saying, if you don't believe what I'm saying, there are people still alive who walked with the resurrected Jesus. They're still alive. Go talk to them and see what they've got to say about it. And we don't have time to cover it today, but there are so many good, rational, and strong reasons to believe in Christianity. So if you're struggling, or you're watching online today, and I know some of you are. I've been told there are some of you watching far, far away from here. I'm not going to say where, but you're a long way from here. You're not in the United States. You're watching online right now, and you don't believe in this Jesus. Investigate it for yourself. There may be somebody here in this room. You need to investigate it for yourself, and I challenge you to do that because you will find the truth, and it is the truth that will set you free. And the truth is Jesus. He is the single best explanation for the growth that started back then and still continues today. It's a resurrection that could not just be pushed away. And it's that resurrection is why the movement is still going on today. Because the God who called His Son out of a tomb, He's called us, His church, to take the hope to the hopeless out there, folks. That's what the church has got to do. He goes on preaching verse 37. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And that's what we're proclaiming to all people today that are listening. Through him, that is Jesus, everyone, who's that? You. Everyone who believes is set free from some sin. Is that what it says? I can't hear you, church. No, that's not what it says. People online need to hear you say no. All right. It says every person that believes is set free from every sin. I don't care how bad a sinner you think you are. No matter how bad you may be living your life. He sets you free from every sin. And listen to this last sentence. It's so big. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. So the first thing Paul does is he obliterates every single thing that they have been taught their entire life. Just imagine everything you've been taught for 20 or 30 or 80 or 90 years. Somebody comes along and says, everything you've been taught is wrong. It's all wrong. Don't believe a word of it. Imagine how you'd feel. Because that's what Paul's telling them. Everything you believe is wrong. Your law, your system can't do what Jesus can do. Because what he's saying, second of all, is this, this God who has the power to set Jesus free from death, he has the power to set you free from your sin, which your belief system can't do and has never been able to do. That's why you're still struggling today. See, death couldn't hold him, and your sin can't keep you from him. And you need to understand that today, and I hope you do. You see, you can go to Moscow, as I did several years ago, right after the curtain fell, and I went to Red Square, and you can go to Vladimir Lenin's uh, tomb there, where they, they got him encapsulated. And he's known as the father of communism. And on his casket, it reads the following. It says, he was the greatest leader of all time. He was the Lord of a new humanity. I stood there and read this. He was the savior of the world. And you see, the problem I have with all that is he's dead. I saw him. He's dead. Now, they've done a real good job of keeping him looking good for a dead guy. But he's dead. And I don't need a dead guy. I need a living Savior that can give me the hope that I need that I can defeat death 
as well. Amen? So I can't help but believe that God is calling someone here today to receive this good news. And listen, folks, Jesus is the only way. Anything else is demonic. It's not true. Don't believe it. Jesus is the only way for your sins to be forgiven. And so I'm begging you to accept him today. If I could do it for you, I would. It's the best decision I ever made at the age of 14. It's the best decision I ever made in my life. I've never regretted it once. I never will. He is the hope for the hopeless. folks. And so if you're hopeless today, and look, I know people come to church and you're hopeless. You're looking for hope. Jesus is your hope. And for those of us who have already received this hope and they already have Jesus in their life, we need to go out there and share it, folks. We need to share it more boldly. And you need to use your area of influence to do it. And I don't know where God has you. And maybe you're in school. Greatest mission field on earth. Biggest mission field on earth is your school. Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's your own home. Maybe it's your friends and the places you go and hang out during your free time. I, I don't know. But wherever your area of influence is, you've got to ask yourself, how can I share this life-changing Jesus that I know about with the people around me? And then the question is, are you answering that call to do that? You see, a couple weeks ago, there was a very unusual event that happened during one of the football games, and it wasn't that Georgia won, okay, the national championship. And by the way, congratulations to the Georgia Bulldogs, because you know what? An undefeated season doesn't happen accidentally. Took a lot of work. But I'm sure everybody's familiar now with the story of DeMar Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills who collapsed on the field. I mean, we've all seen it replayed over and over and over. But the medical people, they rushed out there, and it didn't take long to tell that it wasn't your ordinary event, right? They, they had to resuscitate him. They had to bring his stopped heart back to beating again. And so the medical personnel, they, they did a wonderful job. And from what I understand, he's continuing to prove every single day. Well, you know, we've had things... And events like that happen here at our church, thankfully not to that degree and not that bad, but we've had people actually faint and collapse during a service, right? And our medical personnel, they have responded, and like I say, they gave great medical care, and all the people that, and that's not a lot, but it's happened at least twice, you know, and that's, that's a lot to me, you know, in our church for that to happen, but they, they're doing well. Uh, because of the care they got. And every first responder that you will talk to, they will all tell you the same thing. They don't think. They react. They don't think about what they just react and start doing. And that's what our medical people did here too. Because see, when you're in the medical field, you're always on call, right? Always on call. It's the same for us as disciples. If you're taking notes, write this down. Every disciple not only has call waiting, but you're on call. You're on call. Every disciple is on call. Every single person here today, you, you get a lot of calls. Those of you listening on the podcast or watching online, you get a lot of calls every day. And so what happens is you get these calls from your job, calls for your attention. You get calls from, you know, recreational things. You get calls from friends. You get Hobby calls. I mean, you just get tons of calls from all over the place. And so here's our takeaway today. What starts happening when you start getting all these calls in your life is instead of living for a calling, you just settle for a living. Haven't you heard the line a thousand times? Just trying to make a living. You know what? That's not enough. That's not what God has called his disciples to do. We need to make 
living out God's call in our lives, our purpose. You know, it's amazing how complex we are as humans, right? Not only physically, but mentally and emotionally and all the things that make us up. We're very complex, but yet it's crazy how that we will just settle for making the house payment and avoiding a funeral. Because that's what a lot of us do as we're living out our life. But God has called us to something bigger. And yes, it's harder, but it's something that's so much better as well. The question this morning is, have you answered the call? When you leave today, are you living out that call in your life? When you go to work tomorrow, are you going to be living out that call? When you go to school on Tuesday, are you going to be living out that call? Right where you are. If not, can I suggest that you move? Because, see, being a disciple of Jesus requires movement. That's what God is calling us to do today. Make a move to answer the call. Let's pray together. Father, that is our heart's desire as we bow and we come before you now. First of all, to ask that any person who is listening, who has not asked Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, that they would do that right now. It's the best thing they could ever do. Not only will we spend eternity in heaven with you, but we've got Jesus to help us through this life here on this earth. And God, for all of us, as the church, may we answer that call every single moment to take the unstoppable gospel to a hopeless world and give them the hope that they're looking for. You truly are life-changing. And so I pray that we would realize it, accept it, and take it out. And it's we, all this we ask in the name of Christ. All God's people said, amen and amen. Let's all stand together as we praise and worship God. We go out to be the life-changing church God's called us to be. We hope you were encouraged by this message today. If you would like more details on our church, please visit us at ehbcstatesboro.org.